Hey, if you have your Bible with you today, there's a lot of places we're gonna visit, but I think the first place I'd have you turn is Revelation chapter three. And just really excited about this new series that we're gonna begin today for the new year called Culture of Revival. Culture of Revival, we're called Rev City Church, and one of the reasons is we wanna see people, individuals revived to life in Christ Jesus as we, as a church and as believers, reveal Jesus. We have a heart to see our city, this city revived to life in Christ, that this city would become known. It might be known for some things today. I believe with all my heart it can be known for an outpouring of God's love, his goodness, his grace, his forgiveness. And I pray this very often. I say, Lord, let us be a part of an awakening. <clears throat> let us be part of a revival that's characterized by many, many precious people coming to faith in Christ, being healed and set free, being equipped and discipled and strengthened to, to make a difference with their lives. That's what I believe revival looks like because how many know there are many conceptions and I believe misconceptions about what revival is. And sometimes the best way to kind of get a beat on what it is is to really just kind of rule out what it isn't. Here's what I believe it is not. It's not just a special service or a season of services. It's not renting a tent and having an evangelist in. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. That's what previously many people have said, or you're coming to the revival. It's why this series is called Culture of Revival, because I believe it's who God's called us to be, not just on a certain time of year, not just at the new year, not just when we have a guest speaker in, but it's who God has called us to be as a people. It's what he's called us to steward. It's what he's called us to pursue every year, all the time, every season. And here's what revival is. It is dead things coming back to life. It is God quickening people who were lost in their sin, who were dead in their trespasses, who were living life kind of toiling or striving or struggling through life, maybe not living in the fullness of the joy and the peace and the, and the abundant life that Jesus wants to give us. Here's a few other definitions of the word revive, which is obviously the root word of revival. I looked it up. Here's, here's just a few of what I found. And it says this, an improvement in the condition or the strength of something. Secondarily, it said an instance of something becoming popular, relevant, active, or important once again. An another definition that I found was a reawakening of activity or fervency. And lastly, I saw a definition that said a restoration to physical, mental, or spiritual life, vitality, or success. Come on, if that's what revival is, how many of you want some revival in your life? Come on, an improvement, a quickening, an awakening. Uh, increase in fervency, something becoming relevant, active, important again, a restoration in physical, mental, spiritual life, vitality and strength. I don't know about you, but I believe that revival, an awakening, a quickening, a revival is what our city, it's what our culture, it's what our nation needs. Come on. I really believe this to be true, that God's not looking to a politician or a party or an election, that we can do better about some of those things, but if you're waiting for the, the elephants and the donkeys to come and fix it, it's the lamb who's gonna come and fix it, the lamb of God who's gonna come and fix it. Listen, I'm, I, again, I'm not saying that we can't do better or pray or see some godly people step into some things. We desperately need that. But I'm telling you, what our nation needs, what our homes need, is, is a revival as characterized and as defined by the Bible, an awakening, dead things coming back to life. Psalm 85, six says, won't you revive us again, Lord, so your people can once again rejoice in you. Psalm 119, verse 50, in the Amplified Bible says, this is my comfort, even in my affliction. I want you to hear that, that revival is not for perfect people, 
Revival is not for religious people. Revival is for people who are, for imperfect people who are willing to get real with our need for God. And he says, this is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me and given me life. Isaiah 57, 12 says, this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, talking obviously about Jesus. And it says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. Another translation of that same verse says it this way, I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. So God's heart is for revival. God's heart is for us to live. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, but it wasn't a strong enough way to say what was in his heart for you and for me. He said, and life abundantly, life to the fullest. Okay, so let's pray before we dig into Revelation chapter three. And just, I'm gonna pray over us corporately, but right where you are, man of God, woman of God, right where you are, young adults, right where you are joining us online, come on, would you do your part? Would you lean in? Would you ask God to speak to you? Would you ask God to do a work in you today? Would you ask God to revive your heart today in any place or any way, shape, or form that maybe it's not fully alive and shining brightly for Jesus today? God, I just, I bless this congregation. I thank you, Lord for the privilege and the opportunity to be gathered together as your people. We do not take it for granted. And now, Lord, as we, we've already experienced your presence through praise and worship, Lord, now we're opening your word, which is filled with your promises. And God, I just thank you, Lord, that you would just speak to us, encourage us, strengthen us, maybe even challenge us today, God. I pray that we would be a church, Lord, that would not just exist for ourselves, Lord, but we would exist to see this city and this community, even our nation and the world at large, Lord, reached and touched and changed with the love and the goodness and the power of Jesus Christ. And that's our hope and our heart, Lord, for this gathering today, God. Every person who's in this room and every person who's within the sound of my voice, Lord, anyone who's struggling weak, weak, weak or weary or wounded, any area, God, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, Lord, we know that your heart today is to bring life, to bring freedom, to bring forgiveness, to bring hope, to bring courage, and we receive it today, God. We receive it today, God. Anywhere where the enemy has lied, anywhere where someone's living under a deception that they are not worthy, that they are not enough, that there's not a future, that there's not a hope for them, Lord, that maybe they're at the end of their self or the end of their rope today, Lord, I pray that God today that you would come and that you would rescue like you did in my life, God. I pray that you would come and you would reconcile and restore, Lord, that you would bring fresh hope and faith for their future. In Jesus' mighty, holy, powerful, precious name, come on, if you'll receive even one of those things for yourself, give the Lord a good amen. amen. All right, Revelation chapter three, verse 14, is where we'll start, and it says this. This is a letter that the angel of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, Jesus himself, is writing to one of the early New Testament churches. And it's, it's really pretty powerful to go back and read through those first few books of Revelation and to kind of draw out these letters that the Lord was writing to the church to the churches, rather, at different geographical locations. And inevitably, he almost always kind of encouraged the churches with some things that they were doing well and then cautioned them or corrected them with some of the things that maybe they had lost sight of or had drifted from. And it's really kind of symbolic of kind of how we almost all are in our lives in any season of faith. There's maybe some things in some places that we're doing well and maybe some places where the Lord would remind us of some things or kind of correct us or challenge us. And he's always so gracious, but he ne and he never brings condemnation but he does bring conviction, and I'm grateful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that kind of calls me back into line with his best will and his, his heart and his hope and his plan for my life and for my future. And so that's what we're, we're reading here is one of these letters 
from the Spirit of the Lord to one of the early New Testament churches. And here's what it says. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither hot or cold nor hot, and I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, this is really a fascinating scripture. He's saying, I see your deeds, I see what you're doing as a church, but I, and I, I see that you have grown lukewarm, and I wish, this is a powerful concept. It's almost hard to believe. It baffles our religious thinking. He says, I wish that you were one or the other. So we can understand why he would want us to be hot. He would want us to be burning brightly. He would want us to be on fire for God. But really, he says, I wish that you would be cold instead of lukewarm. And here's what I believe he's saying is that lukewarmness is a dangerous condition because it's a place of complacency. It's a place where you have enough of God to know that you're on your way to heaven. But it's a place where you're maybe not connected to or fully advancing the purposes of God in your life. And it's a place where you're not fully embracing and enjoying or experiencing the fullness of a daily empowering relationship with God. So it's a form of religion. It's a place where we get where we're, there's lukewarmness. There's this idea that we're, we're good enough with God. Maybe we go to church occasionally. Maybe we do some good things. Maybe we do write a check occasionally. We become, but we can become lukewarm. So he says, I would rather you be cold or hot. And I think the reason that he would rather you be cold is that, I don't know about you, but when I'm in my life, I remember what it was like to be far from God and to come to an awareness that I desperately needed God in my life. And so he says, I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather you be in that place where there was a chance that you would come to a realization that you desperately need God in your life. And one of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity is this, how blessed can you become and still by God and still maintain your desperate need for God? And so as a church, let's, let, can we just commit that we do not wanna ever find ourselves in the condition of the church of Laodicea where we find ourselves lukewarm? But here's the thing, unfortunately, I believe at large, and I, I really just try to stay positive and just look for the good in people and, and, and just look for the good in what God's doing in our life he's, he, and, and in our culture. He, he's moving, people are getting saved, people are coming to Christ. And, and, and even in some of the places where there are some setbacks, I believe that God is always looking to turn setbacks into setups for God to show up. And so, so I, 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 I try to keep it positive, but I, I believe that we're at risk at becoming the lukewarm church. And I believe that there are many Christians all throughout our culture who, if we were honest with ourselves and maybe the message, what, what, what letter would God write to the church in America? What would be some of the things that he would say I see these things that you're doing and I wanna encourage you to keep doing them, but what would he say to us? And I believe that there's a chance that we would find ourselves in receiving this kind of an admonishment from, from the Lord because we're, we're largely prosperous and we're, we've been blessed abundantly. And I think there might be a chance that God would write to us and say, in the midst of your blessing, in the midst of, and, and, and listen, there's some levels of persecution that we are, 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 are facing in the West, but it's nothing and I appreciate that a couple days ago that one of our prayer points in our 21 days of prayer and fasting was to pray for the persecuted church around the world because what we've experienced in America is nothing like what people are experiencing in other places around the world where they are literally risking their life and limb to believe, to not just, to not even advance the gospel, just to believe in, in, in Jesus. 
And so I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is coming to tell us, I'm calling you back to a place where you burn brightly and shine brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter two and verse one says this, that when the day of Pentecost came, and the day of Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the original Passover where the people of Israel, you remember, painted the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and were rescued and redeemed and preserved from the death and delivered out of bondage. 50 days after that date, Moses received the law of God, the 10 commandments of God on the Mount Sinai. 50 days after Passover in the New Testament when Jesus was crucified, God poured out his spirit and birthed the New Testament church. And we read it, this way, it says they were all together in one place. They were unified. There was some, there's something about unity that attracts the Spirit of God and the presence of God. And it said, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest upon each of them. And so I wanna talk to you today about the fire of revival. The fire revival, what a powerful scene. Tons of fire resting upon people. A mighty wind coming and blowing upon people. And I believe perhaps more than anything, what we need is a new day where we see rushing wind and we see the flame of God re-entering the lives and the hearts and the pulpits and the congregations and the churches and our communities. And we need to see a fire restored. We need the fire of God's Holy Spirit to once again burn in our lives once again in places where there perhaps was a flame, but maybe it's grown dormant. We need a revival, an awakening, a quickening to cause us to once again burn brightly in our hearts for Jesus Christ so we would no longer be lukewarm. And Jesus said, God said, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, that he is a consuming fire. But as I look around and more and more I feel the tension, more and more instead of being consumed by God, we come to church as consumers of religion. And it really is true. And listen, again, I try to keep it positive on a lot of days, but I just, I see something, it's a trend, and I think that we're on a slippery slope and, and I can appreciate ways that we uh, kind of use social media in ways that these things maybe help us to make informed decisions or whatever, but, but now we've gotten into even writing Google reviews for churches, you know? And we, there was one a few years ago that came and said, great message, but just decent donuts, back when we had donuts. And that thing. I thought, man, really, is that where we're going, you know, with this? But it, it's, it's kind of an exaggerated example of something that can happen instead of being consumed by God and his call and his presence and his purposes for our life, we've conditioned people in the church at large to come and be consumers of Christianity and religion. And I believe, once again, we need the fire of God to return to our hearts, to our homes, in our marriages, from our pulpits, in our churches. Spurgeon said it this way, put some fire in that sermon or put the sermon in the fire. And here's what I wanna encourage you with today is that fire, God created it. God created it. And, this, and he, he, he was very intentional when he used a rushing wind and tongues of fire. And by the way, those tongues of fire, did you read what it said? It said that rested upon the disciples. This isn't weirdness. This isn't sensationalism. This was the fire of God. It said, did you catch that? It said it came and it rested upon. This is not just something that happens in specific or strategic moments. It can happen that way, but this is something that is intended to rest upon your life to rest and dwell within your heart. This fire that burns within your heart that God intends for you to have in your heart. And here's what I know about fire is that fire has many purposes, but a couple of the primary purposes, if you think about it, in the very same municipality, fire can be used. I don't think we use it as much anymore, but fire can be used to burn rubbish and power the same city. 
And in our life, I believe the fire of God is intended to do the same thing. It's intended to burn away. It's intended to refine away. It's intended to reveal and it's intended to deal with some of the things that can keep us from living on fire from God, for God. And it's intended to also fuel our lives into forward moving faith. So, so number one, fire, the fire of God, if you're taking notes, write these things down, is intended to purify our lives. Malachi chapter three, verse two says, he will be like a refiner's fire, a blazing fire that refines metal. Isaiah four, verse four says, he's a spirit of fire that will burn away the sin of his people. So I wanna encourage you today that this message is, about, is not about being perfect, it's not about becoming hyper-religious, it's about real people who deal with sin, presenting our lives before God and saying, God, would you come and would you burn in my life and would you burn away the things that keep me from shining brightly for you? Would you burn away the things that are holding me back and hindering me from running the race of faith that you have called me to? We need a fresh fire of God. We need a fresh fire of God to come and deal. Maybe you're here today and you're trapped in something. There's a bondage, there's an addiction, there's a stronghold, there's a struggle. We need the fire of God to burn in our lives. The fire of God purifies our life. Number two, the fire of God empowers our, our life. We need a flame that, that begins to empower us to, to shine brightly, to advance and further the gospel with our lives. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse nine, the mighty man of God of old Jeremiah, the prophet of God, is speaking and he's, he's, he's talking about this challenge, this kind of like concept, the struggle that we all feel of kind of like this fear of man, this fear of really stepping in and, and really speaking up and really telling people that we live for God or sharing the hope of Jesus with others. And here's what he says. He says, but if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I cannot do it. The same disciples who were locked in fear in that upper room after the, after the crucifixion of Christ, once they received the fire of God in their life, they could never be shut up. They could never be locked up. They were willing. The same people who were fearful uh, uh, Peter was fearful of a schoolgirl who said, I saw him with Jesus and he cursed and he said, no, it wasn't me. That same guy was willing to go give his life and become a martyr for Jesus Christ when he became filled with the fire of God. We need a fire that comes and purifies our life, cleanses us from sin and empowers us to live a life that matters in the number one way to live a life that matters is to live a life for Jesus. Number three, we need a fire to, that helps to spread the gospel to a new generation. James chapter three, verse five says, consider what great a forest is set on fire by a small spark. The same, a different translation, rather the same verse, says a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. You know, I came across something a while back, a study that there were, um, back in the 1900s, the early 1900s, some of the park rangers and the forestry folks in California discovered something, and that was that they were really up against a problem. A great, a great issue was challenging some of the work that they were doing. They realized that the redwood forests in Yosemite and some of those other places, these great, how many of you have ever seen or heard about those great, those great mighty redwoods, these great mighty trees, that they were not reproducing another generation of redwood forests. And, and they began to study and they began to research and, and, and you can go and find it for yourself. If you go and Google it, you can find the, the, the studies and some of the stories and the, and the articles that were written about this phenomenon. What they discovered is that fire control measures 
we're preventing the next generation from taking their place in the redwood forests. And I think it's possible that because we've kind of uh, uh, pushed the Holy Spirit out of the church and the power of God out of the church in some ways in an effort or an attempt to be seeker friendly or not to offend people or not to step on people's toes, that we perhaps are failing to raise up a new generation of believers who are filled with the power and the presence of God. And I believe you can say whatever you want to say about the next generation, but I believe that there's something that God is calling us to do and it's realized that they want an authentic experience. They don't want dead, dry religion. They don't want religious tradition. But I believe that when the church begins to burn brightly again, I believe that when we begin to call young people and young adults, our teenagers, our college students to a life where there's a real fire burning in their life that really makes a difference and really consumes their heart and consumes their life and really helps people be set free from challenges and struggles and addictions and bondages and confusions and begins to cause them to begin to live, for, be fueled forward in a life of faith, I believe that that's what it's going to take to see another generation begin to rise up and begin to take their place. Come on, we need the fire of God in our homes and our hearts and our churches and coming out of our pulpits once again. If you believe it, come on, give the Lord some praise this morning. So, so God is the giver of the flame, but we're the keeper of the flame. And, and there's a powerful uh, picture that we get from reading an Old Testament story about the altar of God that was constructed upon which to receive the sacrifices of God. And if you're not real familiar or well-versed with all those things, in the Old Testament, there was a pattern, there was a system of sacrifices and offerings that were required to make people right with God. And it's why the Bible in the New Testament says we're with a new and better covenant because Jesus came and the Bible says once for all, gave the sacrifice that now makes every person who will call upon his name and put their trust in him right with God. And how many of you are grateful that when we come to church, we're not hauling you know, animals and things in to do those things? I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for that. But there's a powerful illustration. There's a powerful purpose that we can find in this, that God is the giver of the flame. In Leviticus 9 and 2 Chronicles 7, God came and he, after the people of Israel had built the altar upon which they would bring the sacrifices, the Bible says that from heaven, God sent the flame to ignite the original sacrifice. Leviticus 9, 4 says, fire came out of the presence of the Lord, consumed the offering upon the altar. When the people saw it, they shouted with joy and they fell face down. I think I'd probably fall down too if that, that's quite a scene, right? Second Chronicles 7, verse one, when Solomon in a later, later time and date built the temple of God, renewed it, it says that as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, his prayer of dedication over the temple that had been reconstructed, it said that fire came down from heaven consumed the offering and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So God is the giver of the flame, but we have a part to keep the flame of God going in our hearts. 2 Timothy 1.6, this is why I remind you, Paul's writing to his spiritual son, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you. And we see, that's the New Testament instruction that we see modeled to us in Leviticus chapter six, where it says this, reading in verse 10, and hang with me, I'm going somewhere with this. It says, in the morning after the priest on duty has put on his official linen clothing and undergarments, he must clean the ashes from the burnt offering, put them beside the altar. He must take off these garments, change back into his regular clothes, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonial clean. Meanwhile, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must never go out. Each morning, 
the priest will add fresh wood to the fire and arrange the burnt offering upon it. Romans 12, verse 10 says, or verse 11 rather, says this. No, I do wanna read verse 10. Uh, says this, love each other deeply, honor others more than yourselves. Verse 11, never let the fire in your heart go out. Keep it alive and serve the Lord. So here we see this Old Testament pattern where the priests were to, the God, they had built this altar, God had sent the fire, and then their instruction was, do not let the fire go out. And it says every morning the, the priest was to tend this fire. And then the New Testament tells us, fan into flame the gift of God. Don't let the fire in your heart go out. And so I wanna encourage us that God's a giver of a flame in our heart. And today, if that flame is, is non-existent in your life, I believe that it's what God wants to do. We're here to do more than have church that God wants to initiate something in your life. But then he calls us, you and I, to a lifestyle of tending and preserving this flame. And it's really one of the things that, that, that sin and shame and guilt and condemnation and the struggles and the cares of this world is intending to accomplish. And that's to cause the flame in our life to no longer burn brightly for Jesus Christ. So here, I wanna give you some practical instructions about how we can do our part to tend and preserve and stoke the flame of God in our lives as we intend to be a culture where we live this out, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, not just in special, special seasons, but we have a culture of seeing people revive to life, this flame of God burning brightly in our lives. And, and one of the things that jumped out to me as I reread that passage is it said, it said that the, the priest was to change out of his ceremonial clothes and it says, put your regular clothes on. Put your regular clothes on. What are your regular? You know, you, you have clothes that you wear to an interview. Maybe some of you even dress a little nicer when you come to church, but what do your regular clothes look like? I don't know what it'll look like then. Is it sweats and a hoodie, you know? Is it jeans and a sweater? But he says, put your regular clothes on and all the while do not let the flame burn out. Here's what it spoke to me is that God intends for us to keep this flame going in our own personal lives, our day-to-day -day normal lives, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, not just Sunday, Sundays and Wednesdays, but every day. He says, even when you're not in your church clothes, because it's one thing to be in this atmosphere with the awesome anointed musicians and singers and we feel the presence of God, but he says, you are not gonna build and survive in the, the way that I've called you to not just survive but to thrive if you only experience the fire of God on Sundays or Wednesdays. He says, you gotta begin to pull this into your life. He said, each morning, someone say each morning, the priest should add wood to the fire. And it's why we do what we do as a church with the 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's why we're, we're, we're behind the scenes working on building out this Rev City app. And I'm working with some church staff and church leaders to begin to write daily devotionals. Our commitment, it's gonna take a lot of doing, but our team is embracing it. Our commitment, we know there's a lot of things out there, a lot of places you could go for daily devotionals and encouragement, but we just felt, gosh, what's it look like for us to take responsibility as a church family? And to begin to every day, begin to seek the Lord for something to encourage and equip and strengthen us as a church family together. It'll be coming soon in the new year because we believe that we're called every day to put wood on the fire of God that's burning in our life. Several things real quickly I wanna encourage you with. Just think commitments we can make to do our part to tend the flame of God that's burning in our life. And number one is daily decision. Daily decision just to make a decision to say, man, that, that's my desire. That's my hope, that's my heart. I wanna live for God. I wanna have my, my heart on, on fire for God. I wanna be fully alive and shining brightly. And Joshua said it this way 
In Joshua 24, he said, but if serving the Lord does not seem desirable to you, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. He says, choose for yourselves. There's power in daily decision. He said, you could choose. He said, if you wanna serve the gods that your ancestors used to serve back in Egypt, or he said, if you wanna serve the gods of the Amorites and, 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 and whose land you're living today, he said, you could, go, you could continue to serve some of the things of your past. Or he said, you could serve the things of the culture of today. But he said, as for me, as for my house, he said, I'm making a decision. And sometimes we wait for, it's like, okay, Pastor T, well, come on, I need some spiritual goosebumps. No, maybe what you need is just to decide. And just to say, I look around, I see, man, I see people serving some old things, dead things. I see some people serving some progressive new things that they think is gonna bring about life or, or purpose in their life. I'm making a decision today. I'm, as for me, as for my house, I and we are going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, it starts with daily decision. And then, and then daily devotion and daily discipline. Daily commitment to be in God's word. Psalm 119, I read it earlier, bears repeating right here. It says, this is my comfort in affliction. Your word has revived me and given me life. What are you putting your trust in? What are you building your life on? What, what, what voices, what, what values, what beliefs have a greater influence on who you are and what you're doing and building with your life? We need a restoration of reverence for God's word. And every day for the people of God to be saying, man, I, there's a lot of things that are, are, that are out in the world. There's a lot of voices. There's a lot of opinions. But I'm deciding today, before I even get about my day, I'm getting into your word, Lord, and I'm building my life upon what you have to say about who I am, about what you've done, about what you're going to do in my life. And lastly, daily repentance. Daily repentance. Do you know that the Bible says that his mercies are new when every morning. And, and, and the Bible says, revive the courage of those with repentant hearts, Isaiah 57. Revive the spirit of the lowly, the heart of the contrite. And can I encourage you with something that we, we need to make sure that repentance is not an uncomfortable word in church. That challenging people to repentance that, that, that we, we, we embrace that this is what God's called us to repent for the kingdom of God is near. And, and, and that we don't, we don't grow uncomfortable with, with, with challenging people with what God has called us to do. And that's begin to live differently, begin to think differently, begin to step out of some old ways, some old patterns, some old mindsets, some old behaviors. And it says, I'll revive those with contrite, repentant hearts. And, and his mercies are new every morning. And can I encourage you with something? And in fact, as I'm encouraging you with this, go ahead and stand to your feet. And let's prepare to just respond to God and, and present ourselves before God and invite him to do individually what he desires, desires to do in, in our lives individually today. And, and in this new year, I wanna encourage you with something. Would you deal quickly with mistakes? Would you deal quickly with sin? The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and true and just to forgive our sin. And I feel like many of us, though, we kind of tend to, to believe this lie that when we mess up, when we make a mistake, when we do the thing, when we say the thing that we thought we hoped we'd never say or do again, that we have to serve a sentence. 
that there's kind of a season that we have to serve where we have to kind of go through some, some guilt or shame or condemnation. And then we understand that at some point God will forgive our past. Did you know that when God says he wants to, to, uh, you to move on from your past, he, he means he wants you to move on from the mistake you just made. And, and I think that the, the more freedom, the, 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 the more that we embrace this, the more freedom we'll quickly begin to walk in to not allow the enemy to come and cause you to serve a sentence, not even for one day, because his mercies are new every morning. You really did the thing, you really, you really lost your cool, you really didn't have patience with your kid, you really went to the thing you weren't gonna go to, you really are still dealing with the thing that you thought was gonna be dealt with already in 2022, you're still wrestling with it today. Every day you mess up, come on, take it before God and say, God, I thank you that your mercies are new every day, because here's what's at stake unaddressed, unrepented for sin can become a wet blanket upon the fire of God in our hearts. I don't know about you, I've experienced in my own life. When I looked up in my life and I've kind of gotten swept up into something in my life and I realized like, man, what's wrong? I'm just not, I'm not alive. I'm not, I'm not close to God. There's this like, oh. And it's not because I need God to do anything. He's already done it all at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's because I need to do my part to do what God calls us to do, and that's to repent, to bring my mistakes and my sins and my misgivings and my failures and my doubts and my fears and my worries and my concerns and my anxieties before God and just say, God, all those things, I just bring them before you and I lay them down at your feet, Lord. And the places where I have messed up or made mistakes or, or, or done the thing, Lord, I, I repent today. I repent today, and the Bible says, I revive the hearts of those who are repentant and contrite. Man, aren't you grateful for mercies that are new every morning? I mean, really, aren't you grateful? I know, here's, yeah, come on, give them some praise. I think at the turn of the calendar in which I'm preaching this message today, if you're watching it online, and in, a new year, a new season, the second Sunday of a new year, we're just more aware of this opportunity for kind of fresh starts and new starts. But I wanna encourage you in this new year to embrace that that's God's invitation to you every day, every day. And, and to just not allow a day of sin to become a season of shame that causes our, our hearts to no longer burn brightly for the Lord. Let's deal with things quickly. That's what Jesus came to do. Make a way, he said, I didn't come for a religious people. I came for people who were hurting. I came for people who would recognize their need for a Savior. And so, Lord, we just, we, we just present ourselves before you. Come on, right there. Maybe you want to just lift up your holy hands before the Lord and, and just say, God, would you come and would you reignite the fire of God in my heart? And, and what does it look like for you to, to, to receive that flame, to make yourself available? What's it look like for you to be a tender, a keeper of that flame? Like Paul came to Timothy and said, fan it into flame, fan it into flame. Don't let it go out. Don't let it grow cold. And today he's saying, maybe you need to begin to every day begin to put wood back on that fire. He's calling you back into the place of his presence through prayer and through reading and, 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 and putting the promises of God, which are found in his word, into your heart and into your mind and have them upon your lips in a new or a fresh way. Or maybe he's calling you today to kind of start getting active again, start, start stoking the fire, the embers of God that have kind of grown dormant in your life. And he's coming and he's stoking you today. 
And, and right now I just see embers. Can you just picture that in your mind's eye if you've ever tended a fire? You know, there's a, there's a log there and there's embers there and sometimes it just has to get stoked a little and a flame begins to pop up and then it begins to, to do what that fire was intended to do, to burn brightly and to bring warmth and to bring light and to bring guidance. And he's doing that in many hearts and lives today. I just thank you for it, God, for doing it in my own life today, God. And I just pray, Lord, that this would be a culture of revival, Lord, that we would never grow complacent or cold, Lord. We would never grow lukewarm. And when we do, you'd just be so gracious to just come to us and just like you did in Revelation chapter three, you'd just come to us with an encouragement, with a conviction, with a reminder, with a call to repentance, with a call to come back to living fully alive and shining brightly, to giving you our all, to giving you our best, to making you first in our lives. And I just pray that. I just bless this church family with that grace, Lord, to live that out, to walk that out in this season, Lord, starting today and going forward, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And as you just stay in a posture of, of just receiving whatever the Lord's doing or, or deepening in your life today, I wanna give people the opportunity to experience the ultimate flame coming alive in your life. And that's saying yes to Jesus Christ and, and saying, Lord, I, I, need to, I need forgiveness. And if you're here today and maybe you've never put your, your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus, and you're weighed down, your burden, you, 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 you're very familiar with that wet blanket upon your life. It's, it's shame, it's guilt, it's condemnation, or maybe it's just this, oh, this, just this holy frustration of knowing, man, I'm not living the way that I'm intended or created to live. And the things of this world have caused you to be empty and void or just longing for something more purposeful in your life. Today's your day to give your life to Jesus Christ and not just be forgiven, but be filled with his spirit and begin to live and shine brightly for him. Or maybe you're here today or you're joining us online and you once lived that life, but you've drifted from it. Maybe gotten busy with the, or preoccupied with the cares of this world or what the Bible would describe as a prodigal son or daughter. You've drifted from God. And today, if that's you, the heart of the Father is the same as it was in that parable that Jesus told where that father was waiting, he was longing for, and he was looking for that day when that son or daughter would come home, and he ran to the edge of the property, and he welcomed that son back home, and he put a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, he called the celebration, he said, today we rejoice, we party, we celebrate, for my son has come back home. And so if that's you today, you've drifted from God, from once living for him, or today you need to, for the first time, maybe put your faith in Jesus Christ and be forgiven, be born again, be made new, a new creation with all, the Bible says, all the old things passed away, completely healed, restored, forgiven. Right now with heads bowed, eyes closed, here's what I wanna ask you to do. Would you lift your hand towards heaven and would you say, that's me, Pastor T, I need forgive. I need Jesus. I need to come home to my Father. I need to come home to my Father. Right now, lives are changing, hearts are coming back to life. Right now, pasts are being forgiven and healed and, and washed away, washed clean. Right now, uh, 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 things are becoming new in people's lives. Lord, thank you for these precious hands, precious that represent precious people, God. If you raised your hand in this room and online, you can lower your hands. And here's what we do every week. We pray this prayer with you. We wanna just show a sign of support that there are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're gonna come alongside you. And we do it for a second reason. It just reminds us every week, come on, we need the grace of God. We never graduate from grace. Some amazing people came home to Christ today. Some amazing people stepped into a relationship with their father today. Come on, let's pray this prayer with them. Come on, pray boldly today. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize my need for a savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you my life. I give you my trust. 
And because of Jesus, come on, say this part loudly. You know what's coming? I'll never be the same. Come on, say, I'll never be the same. And then can we rejoice with all of heaven? Come on. Come on, God's working in your life. Hey, we're gonna worship God one more time together today before we dismiss you, but let me just encourage you. Come on, go and tend the flame that God's ignited in your heart and just watch what he's gonna do in your life in this new year. God bless you, we love you.